everyone, welcome back to Adoption Adventures. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, the more astute of you will recognise that I am once again late on <laughs> uploading the episode. Um, my apologies. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been. It's been a start of the week, but a good start. It's just been busy. Um, so, for today's episode. Um, I wanted to talk about um, some sort of challenges that adopters, we as adopters face, particularly in the early days, but the same sort of challenges that can be ongoing as well. Um, I had an email from a listener talking about their journey, um, and they were sort of 15 to 18 months into it, and they... They shared their stories, shared their experiences of adopting siblings, um, and there were a lot of similarities in in our own journey. It was really, really nice to sort of hear, and they were talking about how it was just nice to hear other sort of stories as well. Um, within the email that came through, this listener talked about how. Firstly, it can be really difficult when you have external family members that, or support network or anyone that keep on reminding you each time that you talk about a particular difficulty that your child is facing, they keep on reminding you that that's normal. Um, and yes, all children do that. And how that can be really, really difficult to, to hear. Now, in many ways, it's really, really important that we as adopters hear that in particular at the early days. The reason for that is, in my opinion, we've, we've worked so hard with social workers, learning all about every aspect and every element of being parents and trauma and attachment and all of these sort of things, that what we inevitably do is we mould ourselves into becoming almost like social workers. So, it is really important that we have our friends and family around us that can talk to us and say, actually, do you know what? I had children, and when they was this age or slightly younger, this is what I saw. You know, this is quite standard behaviour. It does help. But even whilst it's helping, there are times when you can hear it and go, yeah, do you know what? You're right. This is standard behaviour. But there's a little twist in it. There is a little change in what's happening between my child or my children and your experiences. So it is important um, that our external networks kind of work to find that balance and we do the same. So it's it's just a little bit of a juggling act um, and can be really quite a challenge. But I think... My advice and guidance there would be have that open conversation, be honest um, and be upfront with with everyone and talk about that and say, you know, when people say that to me, I find it frustrating and here is why. Because what we what we have to do is we have to help educate everyone. You know, we have to understand that when someone says that to us, what they're actually trying to do is is trying to help. And they're trying to 
alleviate some of our worries and concerns and trying to, in effect, kind of ground us. Now, there'll be times when we're like, yeah, but there is more to this and you just don't understand the story. So you wouldn't understand what I'm going through. So, but they haven't been on the same training we've been on. They haven't had the same experiences that we've had. So it's about us spending some time with those people and saying, okay, I understand that you think that this is quite sort of normal behaviour. Let me talk to you about why it might not be. Now, you don't have to be specific about your individual child and their story. What you can do is you can reuse some of the stuff that you've had on various training or if you've heard about it in podcasts, books, any any part of your learning. If you can use some of those examples and say, you know, you might find that there's a child that has gone through X. As a result, they'll they'll behave like Y. Um, and try to bring bring these people along on your learning journey because I would say nine times out of ten, when you're given that bit of feedback of you know this is this is just normal stuff, nine times out of ten that person thinks that they're helping and they are desperately trying to help. They don't just they just don't necessarily understand that what they've done is is kind of frustrate you because it's almost playing down what you and your children are going through and it's kind of playing into that wheelhouse of oh you know what it's not that bad chill out and we all know that if we are in the height of frustration or upset or anguish and someone tells us to relax or chill out that doesn't always go down too well Um, so again when you feel that you can because in that moment you know we're not necessarily acting in our best way but when you feel like you can take some time to speak to these people um because i think that more often than not we'll see that they actually want to learn and they want to go on that journey with us <laughs> i do apologize for the new theme music in the uh, in the back the ice cream van has uh, just driven past um as a side note, a uh, cruel little um, story that I had <laughs> was told when we was going through our process was um, I knew a family that told their child when an ice cream truck may <laughs> played the music, it meant that it was out of ice cream, just so as their child wouldn't bother them for ice cream. I mean, that is cruel, right? Absolutely cruel. <laughs> Sorry, returning back to focus, back to focus. Um the other um, sort of thing that came up within this email was talking about a child's grief and talking about the challenges that they face and how we can help them with that, how we can hold that for them and how we can help starting to put some words in there for them as well. Um, now, when I talked about the 10-hour day, Um, So when we did the 10-hour day episode, we talked about how Little Dude really, really struggled um, and really, really had a tough time. And as a family, we had a real tough experience. Um, 
And I think I talked about on that episode how that was quite early on in the process. It was after Dad had gone back to work, honeymoon period was over, and reality started to sink in. And a big part of that reality sinking in for Little Dude was that he wasn't going to be seeing his foster family every single day. And the real the real part for him was actually pure sadness, pure grieving for a previous life. Um, I think I've um, sort of talked through sort of the similarities, um, in particular for a young person, between the two emotions of anger and sadness and how they are really, really closely linked. But for our children to display sadness, it's it's quite a scary place for them. Um, so for a lot of our children, it's so much easier to be angry because they can get through all of their emotions that way and they can mask how they're actually feeling. They won't feel weak, but they will feel like they can get across what they're feeling. Now, what we did with Little Dude um, in the early days and kind of forever thereafter is we work hard to put names to emotions. Um, We work hard to put names to feelings, but we also look to own those emotions ourselves. What I mean by that is in those early days, when we saw little dude really struggling, I think it was either myself or, or dad that talked about um, little dude's foster carer. And we, and we said, you know what? I really, really miss Lisa. Really miss seeing her. Um, you know, and we said, you know, we, we've only just got to know her, but she seems so lovely. And I really miss seeing her. Now, what we were doing there is we were giving little dude permission to feel the same way. Because for a lot of our children, they're going to feel split loyalties. Little dude at that point felt like he had to show us that we were the perfect family and he was super excited and that he loved us. And, you know, for many ways, he was trying to perform for us and as a result of that it would have been really scary for him to actually say I miss Lisa because if he says that is that him and this is like a worry that our children would have is that him saying yeah do you know what I'm just not enjoying it here I wish I could go back and that's genuinely how a lot of our children would feel They'd feel that if they talked about missing their foster family, that it would mean that we would reject them. And our children have felt utter rejection. And they just can't feel that again. Even children that are that are part of the early permanence or sort of foster to adopt, so they are born and straight from hospital they move in with their adopters even those children are going to be feeling a massive deep level of 
rejection. Even at that stage, their brain will be able to function and understand that they have been rejected by their birth families. Now, obviously, you you and I all know that it's more to it than they've been rejected by their birth families. We know that that's not the case, but we also know that our children won't be able to kind of balance that. They won't be able to understand that. So they're just going to feel rejection. So they can't risk it. They can't risk telling us how they feel because they're so worried that we're going to push them away. Now, in the same breath, we might find that our children are literally, they are throwing that emotion at you. They are telling you that they miss their birth family, they're missing their foster family, and they are working so tirelessly to reject you. And that can be horrific to feel. Um, I believe, and I'm not a neuroscientist, so please don't quote me on this, but I believe that there is research to suggest that the feeling of rejection can trigger the same emotion in your brain as physical pain. So that's how deep it can go. And again, that can be such a challenge as a parent when you're feeling that and going through that. All you want to do is be this person's number one person. What's happening at that moment is our children, again, they're going back to that rejection. They're going back to that anxiety that you are just going to give up on them. So what they're doing is they're going to reject you first because it is safer for them to reject us ahead of them being rejected. Little dude felt if he pushed us away, that way if it didn't work out and he had to go home to Lisa, it was okay. He hadn't invested emotionally. Instead, he'd pushed us away, so it was okay. So it's super duper complex and it's super, super challenging to understand. But that's as, as an adult, I'm trying to sort of get, get through all of that. Now as a child, going through that, experiencing that, and not having any words at all to put in place for it, that's really tough. And their mind is going to be all full of haze and fuzz, and they aren't going to know what weighs up sometimes. So like I say, that's when our job comes in to actually start putting some language together. So we started saying to Little Dude, we miss Lisa. We really want to see Lisa. That then gave him permission to say the same. And if he starts talking about that and says, actually, yeah, do you know what? I, I miss her too. Now, all the while, we had promised him that we were going to stay in touch. But he doesn't know us. We're complete strangers at that early stage. So when I make a promise, these children, they have been promised the earth by so many tall people. And they have had so many tall people let them down. That how on earth can we ask them to trust us? The only way that they learn to trust us is if we start coming, making good on our promises. And that's what we did. We did short, medium and long term promises. And we would make sure that those 
every single time we made a promise, we kept it. And we put so many short-term promises in place to help re, sort of rebuild that trust in us or start building that trust in us. And that promise can be something as simple as tonight after dinner, we're going to have ice cream and chocolate sauce. Okay? It's something as simple as that. Now, what I would say is never, ever, ever make a promise that you're not going to keep. If you have promised that ice cream, make sure there's ice cream. If if you've found out that actually, do you know what? We have not got that ice cream and the chocolate sauce. You need to go out and get some. Because every single time in those early days when you're making a promise and not keeping it, it's just reaffirming we can't be trusted. Now, I'm nine years down the line. I'm able to make a promise to little dude and then if circumstances get in the way to break that promise, I'm able to speak with him and go, okay, look, this is what's happened. The freezer broke, all of the ice cream has melted, I've gone online and I can't find any ice cream in the county. (laughs) Um, I can now have that honest conversation, we can walk it through and we'll be okay, and that's fine. But in those early days, I wasn't able to do that. I had to follow through with every single promise. So making sure that we're doing that. Now, I've heard from some um, stories that there are some people that feel um, almost anxiety about the foster families um some people and i think that this has changed quite dramatically over the years but i've met adopters that felt angry about foster carers because it's like oh you got those years that i desperately wanted and you had all of these experiences that i never got to have with this child so they almost feel like um the adopters are feeling a bit sort of anxious and frustrated um, and they're not entirely comfortable with the foster family. Now, for us, that never ever came into our minds. Um, I still remember the first time that Lisa came to our home. We were so nervous, so, so nervous. Um, I'd seen a DVD of her um, sort of doing some um, some work with little dude and I remember dad and I just looking and just going wow this this woman is pure genius and is a born mother how on earth will we ever come close to competing there's just no hope now I think it would be quite easy in that instance for us to go oh do you know what I don't think I'm going to be able to compete with this person but I want to compete with her. And I think that's sometimes what happens. Dad and I didn't see it that way. Dad and I actually looked on and said, little dude lived with this family for three and a half years. He has built an attachment. He has built a bond. He has learned to love this family. That's exactly what we want. 
So, like I said a few weeks ago, if you want to know how to succeed in life and your idea of success is that you own a Jaguar, don't ask someone who is currently driving a Ford. Because that's not who you need to ask that advice from. We desperately wanted to be great parents. So we sought out great parents. And we had Lisa and her family all beautifully packaged and ready and waiting to tell us anything and everything that we wanted to know about what they did to raise little dude. So we got to know them and we asked those questions and we used those guys as a strength for us, as a training for us. And we put things in place that they had been putting in place. We, they had done test and learn. They had done trial and error. They were able to talk to us and go, do you know what? We tried this, this and this. It just didn't work. It, it, Failed ma- massively, so we were able to go. Well, do you know what? I'm not going to bother trying that then, am I? And they were saying, Right, well, these tactics they really worked brilliant, I'll use those then. And we did, so we got to stand on the shoulders of great people, and we were able to continue to maintain that relationship and constantly tell little dude how important these people were to us and by doing that we're letting him know that he can have that emotion too he can say he misses them he can say that he loves them he can tell us how great they are and we're not going to be offended we're not going to reject him we're going to encourage that now by doing that and we had we've still got it but um we've got a shrine to little dude uh, <laughs> by up our stairs um, but within there there are photos of the foster family and little dude whilst he was in the foster family and they are accessible because that's a big part of his world so we talk about that now obviously as years go on you talk about those years less but that's a natural progression But in those early days, we talked about all of their experiences so often. And we got to hear about that. And we asked him if he would share that world with us. By doing so, he was able to feel like that wasn't gone. When I go through training, um, we do a huge, huge section on loss. And we talk about a sort of a significant loss and then what has helped, what makes that significant loss better. And one sort of um, theory that I've heard about loss um, is you only truly lose someone when nobody is talking about them anymore. And I, I think that's actually a really beautiful sentiment. I think it's a really um, sort of solid thought process. 
And I think actually when we can talk about people and we can share good memories, bad memories, indifferent memories, that helps us to navigate that. So by talking about Lisa and her family, we kept all of those memories fresh and live and happy. And we kept moving that forward. Over a year, 18 months, we saw we saw those guys so much. And it was really, really comforting for us. But it must have been so comforting for little dude. You know, who's into this new family and all of these <laughs> weird new people. And he's trying to learn where he fits. And then all of a sudden he goes into the home where he's lived for three and a half years and things feel normal and he feels settled so we encourage that in addition to that we needed little dude to talk about his early years to talk about his birth family so by talking about his time in foster care that opens up the door for him to be able to talk about earlier as well we we kind of we kind of work to encourage a whole conversation there a whole sort of a full deep dive into all of it your sort of foster care your birth family let's talk about it all but in the same breath a lot of our children will feel that split loyalty with their birth family as well. And they'll feel that grief. For children that have gone through early permanence, they're going to feel the grief of the life that they never had. For some children, they're going to create a fantasy of what life could have looked like. And it's our responsibility to kind of talk them through that and walk them through that and make sure that they have some words to go with their feelings. We find as well that since Little Dude has moved in, we've had a handful of personal loss and personal grief. Sometimes big loss, other times smaller loss. But when we've gone through that, we've seen Little Dude's reaction to loss. So quite early on, um, we lost my parents' dog. Um, and I remember having to tell him um, that she was unwell and that she wasn't going to get better. And he had sort of a... 60 second delayed reaction where he kind of just nodded and said right okay fine and I assumed that his avoidance would mean that that was kind of where he left it and then he really broke down and he got really really sad now of course he was really sad about the dog of course because they were getting on really well um but it's it's a snowball grief is a, a snowball effect and when when we feel grief there's something called secondary trauma so 
you can feel the emotion of grief about one thing and actually all of your wave of previous grief comes bubbling right up to the top again. So as we're thinking that all of the sadness that we've got here is because we've lost a dog, actually for our children and, and for us, we're actually stopping and thinking, oh yeah, but this is also the feeling that I felt when we lost my granddad, when dad lost his mum. All of those moments of grief, you are reminded of it all. And it all comes flooding back. So grief, it's never ending. There is no full stop on grief. Um, a lot of people talk about what, what makes it better. Time is generally a, a, a common denominator. And time, in my opinion, it doesn't make it easier but I think that it helps us to manage it. It teaches us how to manage those emotions a little bit better. The same has to be said for our children. When little dude moved in, slowly but surely, he started to feel the grief of losing his foster family. And if we all think about any time that we've had any form of loss, if we were then asked after three weeks, six months to just get over it, surely you're done with this now. I imagine that would have been a really, really difficult thing to hear. So we have to permit our children the exact same as what we would have for ourselves. If anything, we need to give them more time because they're... Their brains have got to try and function and got to try and work all of this out. It's our job to try to help build that up for them. It's not to say that our children are going to be sort of incapable of moving forward or just sort of stuck in a, a sort of a pool of depression. But they are going to have those feelings. They're going to have those emotions. Like I say, I think the thing that helps most is talking about it. Talking about your feelings to help give them feelings. I think as well having photos up and making sure that that's available constantly. It might not be that it's ever discussed, but you can just have that photo there so as you are acknowledging that this existed. And I think that is really powerful for our children. I think... When it comes to grief, when it comes to loss, it's it's tough. It is really, really tough for our kids. Um, and I think that there are parts of our children's stories as well that we fear that they will grieve over massively. So we then become anxious about sharing that story with them. What we have to understand is the longer we hold it, the harder it's going to become, the bigger the challenge will be. There's an aspect of Little Dude's story, I think I've mentioned this before, um, that he's not aware of yet. Now, it's not actually his story, it's actually a bit of his mum's story. Um, but he's not aware of that yet. But we have worked with him for years now and we have let him know 
that there is an aspect of his mum's story that he is not aware of yet. And we, we held that for him. Um, a couple of years ago, we spoke to him about this and said, right, you are now old enough, mature enough to be able to hold this. We will now share this aspect of the story with you. To which he actually said he didn't want to know it at that point. So we respected that. And what we've done is probably, I'll say once every six months, once a year, we just remind him that we are holding this bit of information. So we're not hiding anything from him. We are openly hiding something from him, I guess. Um, we've let him know that there's something there and he is in control of when he knows that. But it can be really scary to share something with our kids when we are worried that they are going to feel another layer of grief. And I think that that's not, that's not adoption related, that's parenting related. I think that we all want to shield our children from as much grief and sadness as possible. But my view would be that grief and sadness exist in the world. And actually, our kids are pretty, pretty well versed in it and they know what they're doing with it. They're probably more resilient than we'll ever be. So we need to give them more credit and we need to give them more time. And we need to accept that actually grief and loss is a part of life. So it's instead of protecting them from it, let's teach them how to manage it. Let's teach our children how to go through grief. Let's help them to understand that your grief is not the end of the world. The world will continue to spin. And sometimes actually when you're grieving, that's the worst part. Because you are grieving and you think, how on earth can people still be carrying on with their everyday lives when I am feeling so sad? We need to talk through that with our kids. We need to help them to understand that that is normal and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not do okay. And yeah, I think it's challenging and it's really difficult. But I think it's our duty, it's our responsibility to help them through that help them understand it and work with them on it and say, actually, do you know what? I think, I think you're probably feeling like this or, you know, I talked about previously guessing and wondering, sort of talking to them and saying, you know, we've just had this happen or, you know, we've just had this news about the dog. I, I wonder if maybe that's also made you think about when we had to say goodbye to your foster family or when we had to say goodbye to a relative. And I wonder if that's really quite a big feeling to go through. Now, a lot of the time our children, when we sort of do the guessing and wondering game, a lot of the time they're going to tell us that we're wrong and that that's not how they're feeling. But what it does is it then sinks in for them and it gives them the opportunity to think about it and say, wonder if that's right I wonder if it is actually how I'm feeling so 
it just helps them along. So to sort of sum up there, I would say when it comes to grief and loss, be open, be honest. Feel your own emotions, but model those behaviours, model those emotions and let it be known how you're feeling and how you want to deal with that sort of thing. Talk to other people about it. Have photos up. Talk about foster family. Talk about birth family. And talk about them in a positive way. Find the good. Find the exciting. Embrace those moments and let our children feel the same. Because by doing so, you're letting them know that they don't have to feel split loyalties. They don't have to feel worried about being honest. Little dude now... He has said to us on numerous occasions how cool it would have been if Lisa and her family had adopted him and we just became his cool uncles. Now, initially, you might sort of think, oh my goodness, that is like really, really harsh feedback, (laughs) which it was, but (laughs) it's actually really beautiful feedback. It's him sharing with us that he was close to his foster family and that he had built an attachment and that he loved them. And that's beautiful. And if he can say that to us, it means that in many ways we did our bit right. We've let him know just how safe he is to be honest. And I think that that's, you know, I'm kind of being a bit blowing my own trumpet here and I apologise for that. But that made me really proud because I think that that's when I looked on and said, we've done a good job. If little dude can tell me that he would have loved to have been adopted by a different family but still have us in his world, that was a win. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how I uh, kind of looked at it. So hopefully that's helped. Hopefully that's um, sort of given you some thoughts. As always, if you found that you've sort of heard that and thought, mm, I've got some questions or I'd like to discuss that, always feel free to get in touch. I'll put all of our, the link to our, all of our socials on the um, blurb of the episode. Uh, get in touch with any questions that you always have um it's always lovely to hear from you um in the meantime i shall bid you a fond farewell and i shall speak to you next week 